0: clap before I've said nothing that's got to be a good start right well good morning clicker clicker here we go now I'll actually put it on this time after last time where I was just pressing buttons and nothing was happening and then after the service I realized I hadn't switched it on sad times. Um, So for those of you that haven't met me before, my name is Nick and I'm one of the pastors here. And we are carrying on today with our series on Colossians. And uh, we've been really trying to dive into this book in the New Testament in the Bible to not just read the Bible for information. This is what we've been saying. It's about revelation in our hearts. If we only ever read the Bible to know the answers or to feel like we are more holy or more spiritual, then we have lost the whole essence of why the bible exists it is there to bring us to life and enable to teach us and guide us about how to live these lives that will go out and shape and change the world and so that's why we're spending so much time looking at a particular book in the bible so this is what we're looking at the book of colossians i'm heading in on number 5 we're going through it verse by verse but trying to look at the the so what of the bible the so what i read these verses but so what what difference does it make to my life And we've been hearing some great talks. If you haven't caught them, go on to the catch-up on the website and have a look. Um, Some fantastic messages so far up to, I'm starting at verse 24 today. Um, But we've heard messages that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough for you. Full stop, he is enough. Chris last week was talking about the fact we are not called to ignore the culture. We are called to set the culture. And that rather than shy away from and just look and think, oh, you know, society, what's going on? The culture's not how God would want it. Rather than pull back, God's asking us to go into it head first, front foot, so that we might be able to set it. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, grab it, grab a notebook, um, and we will dive straight in at verse 24. Oh, hang on, I should tell you this. Go and watch the other talks, you'll get all the the kind of the context, but the context basically is there for you. It's a letter written by a guy called Paul while he was in prison to a church where there was quite a lot of odd thinking going on in the church, uh, which I'm going to touch on today. And he was partly writing to correct that, um, to encourage them, um, and to basically send a message that it's all about Jesus. So let's dive in at verse 24. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me wish me luck, everyone. We haven't got long, and there's a lot in there. We did have a bit of a joke amongst the pastors when we were dishing these out, that Kat got one that like, oh, Jesus, you're so wonderful. And my opener was, and now I am suffering and filling up my flesh with lack. I was like, really, everyone? How did I get this one? However, hold on, because this is a tough one, but there is so much hope in here, so much hope. And I'm going to just start with this first verse, this verse 24. What we need to remember when we read this section is that Paul was suffering, like actually really suffering at that time. You know when you speak to people and then they can seem a little bit pious sometimes and they give you the guidance and wisdom for life and you think, you have never, you don't know what that's like. Have you ever had those conversations with people where they're like, oh, parenting is the worst for this, where, you know, people go have you thought about not giving them that chocolate? And you feel like saying, have you thought about trying to deal with the thing if I don't give them the chocolate? You know, there's that thing that happens where we can sometimes give opinions we're just not really qualified to give. Paul is qualified. Oh my word, this man is qualified to talk about suffering. He absolutely knew what suffering was, and he was in the middle of it when he was writing. This is not some reflection with a a sun mist on it afterwards where he's thinking back upon a time. He's in the middle of his suffering. I mean, in 2 Corinthians 11, we get this list of all of the suffering he'd undergone. He said, I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I've been beaten with rods and pelted with stones. Three times shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea, constantly on the move. He talks about the fact he's labored and toiled and gone without sleep. He's known hunger and thirst. He's gone without food. He's been cold. He's been naked. I think we can safely say Paul is qualified to talk about suffering. And his life is a reflection of this all-in life that we hear Jesus speak about. Jesus speaks about this concept of taking up our cross. I don't know if you've seen any of the films or the depictions of Jesus carrying, of, that, of, of the cross being carried, of this weight. It's not a happy or a nice thing. It's heavy, it's weighty, it's hard. And Jesus says, that he's died on the cross, and then he's calling his followers and saying, you take up your cross. And Paul's life is a reflection of this kind of life where he is counting the cost for taking a message of hope out to the world. And I love the message translation of Mark 8, where Jesus talks about this taking up your cross. And it says this. This is Jesus speaking. Calling the crowd to the disciples, he said... Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You are not in the driver's seat, I am. Don't run from suffering, embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to saving yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose the real you. What could you ever trade your soul for? We live in a world that tells us, fix yourself. Fix yourself. If you're not happy, read the right books. If you're not satisfied, go and have relationships with more people until you find someone you are. You know, there's just so many things out there that say, be true to yourself. You know, this whole movement we're seeing in the world at the moment, which is, do what makes you feel good, be true to yourself. And here, this flips it on its head, and Jesus is saying, and Paul is living it out, if you want to be true to yourself, it starts with surrender. It doesn't start with me, me, me. It starts with opening your fists out and saying, maybe it's not about me. What if it were all about him? And what's crazy about this passage is that Paul opens it by saying, I rejoice in what I'm suffering. I mean, if you were to meet someone that's in terrible suffering and you see them rejoicing, you've got to think there's something wrong with them, right? That, that's not a normal or natural reaction to suffering, to be able to rejoice and I was listening to a podcast recently from Katia Adams, who is an incredible speaker and leader. And she said one line that I have thought of must be more than a hundred times since. And she said this line either what Jesus says is true or he's a liar. There isn't middle ground. Either what he says is true or he's a liar. So if Jesus says it's possible to live in a place of suffering, to embrace it, and still to find yourself, your true self, a whole life, it must be possible. And Paul seems to have found it. But what I think we find when I look at this verse for us is that how many times do we hear from people, oh, I can't, I can't go and really talk to Jesus, talk to people about Jesus right now, or I can't really serve, or I can't really give of myself because I'm not in a good place right now. How many times do we hear that? I know I do that. I do my little bit of talk to myself of, oh, I just, you know, I know that person really needs hope, but I'm just not in a good place right now. Paul is not in a good place right now. And yet he is pouring himself out and saying, I'm inviting you to do the same. He knows what it is to have a message of hope that costs him something. But the problem with us is that we don't like things costing us something. We don't like discomfort. We don't like suffering. We don't like to feel embarrassed or unsure. So we just avoid things. If they feel too inconvenient or uncomfortable, we just back away. And Paul is saying, no, press on. And um, in the mornings, Chris will tell you, I am not a morning person. Like... Not in my skill set. Uh, and uh, I have a snooze button on my alarm. Uh, and Chris sometimes says, Why don't you just set the alarm to go off later? Because basically, all I do is I'm like, oh, and then you don't actually get an actual word from me. I just hit snooze. And when I was thinking about this concept of pulling back from inconvenience and discomfort, I found this quote from a writer, and it just hit home for me. And he said, When our hearts fall for the idol of convenience, the call of Jesus to follow him in shouldering a cross feels foreign. When our security is in the warm comfort of secular convenience, we will keep hitting the snooze button on Jesus' alarming command to take up our cross. Ouch, right? I'm not in a good place. That is the snooze button. That's the snooze button. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait till I feel a bit better. I'm going to wait till I feel stronger. I'm going to wait till I feel like my face better. And Paul is saying, don't wait. While you're in your suffering, you have a message of hope to take forward. But then he says there's purpose for his suffering. It's not just suffering for suffering's sake. He's saying, I'm suffering for you. He's talking to the church and he's saying, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this so that you might know what Jesus did in dying for you. I'm doing it on your behalf. There's a purpose behind the suffering. The Passion Translation puts verse 24 like this, and I think this really helps me to understand. I, can't, I can even celebrate the sorrows I've experienced on your behalf, for as I join with you in your difficulties, it helps you to discover what lacks in your understanding of the sufferings Jesus experienced for the church. So what's happening here is, when I first read this and knew that we were unpacking it, I was like, this does not make sense. How can Paul possibly say that Jesus was lacking in suffering in some way, or there was some lack in Jesus dying in the cross? Surely that is heresy, right? Surely the, co- the cross is enough, total, final, complete. The answer is yes, and... Paul is saying, it is enough, it is complete, it is total, but there's going to be a generation that's coming that won't have witnessed what happened when Jesus died on the cross. They won't have been able to see it for themselves. They won't have been able to live it for themselves. So when he's talking about lack, the translation of this word here is actually leftovers. What he's talking about is taking on the baton from Jesus and what Jesus lacked in his ability to take the message to thousands because Jesus was gone. So Paul is saying, I'm taking on the baton and what Jesus lacked in his ability to take the message forward himself, I'm taking it forward. It's not lack in the cross, it's lack in being able to get this message out to as many as possible. And what Paul is saying in that verse is, we need someone to stand in the place of Jesus and show the world what it looks like to be willing to die for others what it looks like to be willing to suffer for others, to lay our lives down so that we can take a message of hope out there. And that's just as true today. The world needs people who are willing to give up their own stuff to take a message of hope in a hopeless world out there. So jumping on to 25... I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Now, I've been loving a song lately from um, a band called Maverick City. If you haven't listened to the album Old Church Basement, then this is me saying, go listen to it. Like, not right now. That would be rude if you all just started listening to it now. But when you get home, listen to that album. It is Maverick City in Elevation Worship. And one of the songs is called Gyra. And it's like five songs in a song, actually. But it's an incredible song. And one of the lyrics is this. I'm already loved. I'm already chosen. I know who I am. I know what you've spoken. And that is enough. And what Paul is saying here when he uses the word commission is he's saying, I know who I am. I know what you've spoken. And that's enough. A commission is not a whim or an idea or an opinion. When he says God has commissioned him, he's saying God has given him his job description. He's saying, I'm sending you, I'm trusting you, I'm giving you a job to do. And that has become his whole reason for being. Paul is laying everything else aside to make that the main thing. And when we say yes to Jesus, we step into a story that's way bigger than ourselves. We step into a story that says, do you know what? I'm going to lay my desires to one side and I'm going to say, God, I'll give everything I have to take this message of hope that you have planted in me. Now, I don't know if any of you caught the football yesterday, and if you didn't, you may have caught the news and seen what happened um, during the Finland-Denmark match when one of the players uh, fell to the ground and stopped breathing, and his heart stopped during the match. He was running, he kicked the ball, and then he just hit the floor. Uh, His name's Eriksson, and what happened in that moment, which was hugely distressing, is... I think people thought he'd just, like, fallen, he'd gone down. And then as soon as his teammate looked at him, he saw something was terribly wrong. And he called over for all of the medics and everyone. And you saw these medics running. There was no half saunter across. It was so obvious from the reaction something was terribly wrong. And it was obvious for everyone around this man was very, very unwell. And then what happened is his teammates gathered around to protect the dignity of this player and what was going on, and they stood around so that people couldn't see while the medics gave him CPR to try and bring him back to life again. And thank God, he did. And he started to breathe again, and he is now awake, and the news is saying that he's stable. And what was fascinating is you saw a stadium shouting his name, they started to shout, Erickson, Erickson over and over, almost willing him to live. Now, when God commissions us to take a, a message of hope to a world that needs saving, do we respond with that urgency? Do we run into the world saying, oh my goodness, I know you need saving and I'm running towards you because I carry the hope of glory as we're about to hear in me. What would have happened on that pitch if he'd have fallen and the guy had said, yeah, get the medics and then everyone had just said, I'm not in a good place actually. You know, I just, do you mind going? Do you know, I've heard this guy over here is a really good medic. Can you send him? He might go. No, there was none of that. People ran. The team, even though they didn't have what it took to bring him back to life, stood. The the fans cheered his name. Why? Because there was an acknowledgement that this man needed saving, and there was an urgency and a willingness to stop the game, to stop everything else that was happening, in order to do everything necessary to bring this man back to life. I believe that is the commission God is giving us to run with everything we have into the world to take a message of hope. And we get to decide how we respond. And when it says in this verse, that we need to invite people into the fullness. He's saying, Paul's saying, the commission is take God, the word of God in its fullness, the whole message, not just the bits we find comfortable, not the bits that won't offend people, the whole message. And in 2 Timothy 4 verse 3, we see this, which I find so familiar in our society right now. Says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather round them a great number of teachers to say what their ears are itching to hear. I don't know if that feels familiar to you. It feels familiar to me that we're trying to change the gospel. We're trying to change the message of Jesus into something more palatable, more acceptable, uh, you know, more tolerant. You know, we're just trying to make this version of Jesus so easy that anyone can pick it up and follow him because it won't cost them anything. And here Paul is saying, it costs you everything, everything. So when we live in this consumerist society, and personally, I believe the church, not Ash Vineyard per se, but yes, and, I believe the church is in a culture of consumerism where we are trying to pick and choose Jesus according to what makes us feel good. Pick the song, well, I like the worship, but I didn't like that song. It's not about you. It's about him oh, well, you know, I like the talk, but I didn't like that bit, so I just fast-forwarded through that. Or I don't really like that speaker. Or what if it's not about you? What if it's about him and the truth that is in the Bible that is there for us to discover? But somehow we are presenting this beige version of the gospel, and it is not beige. It is the opposite of beige. It is life-transforming. But is that the one that we're presenting to people? Are we presenting it in its fullness or are we just presenting the bits that we like and that feel good? As Chris often says, taking some Tippex to your Bible until you get the version you like. And if we think this isn't having an impact on how the world views Christianity, then we are wrong. There was um, an article written about one of the Hillsong pastors you may have seen in the news. uh, One of the uh, quite famous, well-known Hillsong pastors in the States made some pretty poor choices because of his fame. It was out there in the public eye, and uh, a writer from The Spectator wrote this, and this is, I think, uh, quite stark. He says, I'm not religious, so it's not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and shouldn't believe. Still... If someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values and there's nothing especially inspiring about them, then there's nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. Making God fully known looks like something. And I think it's compelling in its discomfort. Uncomfortable, but compelling. Let's jump on to verse 26, because here the hope is on its way. This is the bit I imagine Paul in his writing having his, the strings have kicked in. You know, this is the crescendo moment he's coming to. It's like, suffering hard, cost you everything, worth everything, but... The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations and is, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This word mystery here was used by the Gnostics, if you like. There was a lot of thinking about, well, Jesus is good, but maybe there's more. There was lots of thinking, much like today, of, you know, maybe Jesus isn't just enough on his own. And the Gnostics and these other religions, if you like, used to use this word mystery, the same word, to refer to secret information that was for an exclusive group of people. There's only some that are let in on the mystery, if you like. You've got to be in the in crowd in these other religions to be in on the mystery. You know, you were the really important ones. Paul takes this very word, flips the whole thing on its head and says, Nope, the mystery is now out there and it's for everyone. You don't need to be in the exclusive club anymore. You don't need to have had the revelation just to you because you're special. It is for absolutely everyone, irregardless of background, education, knowledge, wisdom. It's for everyone. And this really is the message of this passage. Jesus is for everyone. Not just the person sat next to you, for you. Yeah, but Nick, you don't know what I've done. I don't need to know what you've done. He's for you yeah, but you don't know what I even did like this morning. I know. As Kirsten was saying in the worship, I don't feel worthy. Yeah, good thing is that this message isn't dependent on how worthy you feel. It's just true. It's just true. Whoever you are, it's for everyone. And what I love here is that this savior, this hope bringer, this more than enough Jesus isn't just for you and with you, but here it says he's in you that is radical. He's in you. And you might think, I've no idea what that means. Like, yes, it's complicated and it doesn't make a lot of sense. But basically what's happened here is that when Jesus left the earth, God sent his Holy Spirit, fully God, fully Jesus, his Holy Spirit. And he said, I'm going to send my spirit to be in you. So, Jesus is in you by his spirit. He's taken up residence inside your heart. When you say yes to him, you give him the house key. And you say, come on in. Every room is available. Except very often we say, come on in. Can you stay away from that room? But the the truth of the matter is, he comes to take up residence in us because. He wants to put himself in us so that we can take him out wherever we go. In everything we say, in everything we do, we get to reflect who he is. And what does that mean for our lives? Well, it's in the next four words the hope of glory. That's what we get to carry the hope of glory. And I love this translation, the J.B. Phillips translation. Thank you, Bible Gateway. As if I've ever picked up a J.B. Phillips translation of the Bible, I was like, "Who knew that existed?" But this is really good, Um, and it says this of this verse: it says, "The secret is simply this: Christ in you, yes, Christ in you, bringing with Him the hope of all glorious things to come." What a great translation! It's like Jesus has rocked up, taken residence in you, and He's brought with Him. All the hope of the glorious things that are to come. And remember, the context is that Paul is suffering. He needs to know this hope and he needs the church to know this hope. This hope that is wilder than their imagination. And as I was preparing this this week, I felt God really show me, as Becca said about flowers earlier, I felt God speak to me so clearly about what it means to carry the hope of glory. And I felt like he started to unpack for me that often it doesn't look or feel like anything big or special. I don't walk around with a conscious awareness often that I'm carrying the hope of all glorious things that are to come on the inside of me. That's not a reality that I feel I live in a lot of the time. But it doesn't mean it's not true. And I'm going to show you this. So these are some seeds. And last year in lockdown, uh, along with seemingly the whole world, I took up some gardening. Uh, And as Chris will tell you, my hobbies last all of about three weeks. So I took up some gardening. I planted these seeds. And then something grew. And I was like, this looks good. And then I put it in the ground. And then by the end of the summer, I had grown the sum of some green leaves. That was it. Nothing. It's like green leaves. And I kept looking, thinking, I'm sure they're supposed to do something. Like, I'm sure there's supposed to be more. And then I thought, maybe I should just be pleased that there are some leaves and I grew something. Anyway, all winter, nothing, 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 nothing. The green leaves remain until the spring started. And it was a late spring that spring started to come. And this is what has appeared in our garden. <laughs> I know! I know. Jesus is enough. And aren't they great? I know. (laughs) This is what's appeared from this. Look at them. They're dirty. They're brown. They're nothingy. They're tiny. They feel insignificant. But look what they were carrying in them. Those seeds were carrying that all the time. But if you looked on it on its own, you see nothing of worth or significance. It doesn't feel like anything. But you put it in the ground, you nurture it, you look after it, you care for it, and then something glorious happens. And you won't be able to see from that picture, but inside every flower is almost like a leopard print pattern. It's so astonishingly beautiful. When this verse talks about the hope of glory in you, you carry the seed that you probably think doesn't really look or feel like anything, but you're carrying in you something with the potential to reveal the most glorious, incredible future that is more than you could ever ask, dream, or imagine. So don't lose heart when it just feels like a little seed of nothingness because God is able to use that to bring forth something that the world desperately needs to hear. And so jumping right to the end, Paul says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is the how. He's talked about why it matters. He's talked about why it's so important. And he's like, so how do we do it? We proclaim. There's something so active about that. It's not staying quiet. It's not sitting on it. It's not putting that seed in its packet, putting it on the windowsill and hoping something's going to happen. It's doing something with what God has planted on the inside of us, proclaiming, admonishing, teaching everyone with all wisdom why it's this fully word again, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And again, what's interesting here is the Gnostics, Paul is so clever and defensive, actually. The more I've read this stuff, I realize he's bold. It's like he picks words on purpose that he knows are going to really rile other people. And he's like, oh, I'm going to change the meaning of that. I'm going to take the thing that you're meaning to to go another way, and I'm going to point it back to Jesus. Super clever. So fully mature here, those were the words that the Gnostics used to to use to talk about those that possessed all the secrets, Again, that exclusive, not for everyone, just for some. And Paul says, fully mature, nope, for everyone. And as I sat with God, I felt like he said this to me and I wrote it down and I rewrote it. I felt like God say, maturity drives us to action and surrender is the place where hope becomes contagious. Maturity drives us to action And surrender is the place where hope becomes contagious. We are commissioned to take this message out. There are people, effectively, just like Erickson on the pitch yesterday, that cannot breathe, that don't have life, and that we are being asked, I'm commissioning you, will you run? Because you've got everything you need to breathe life into them. Will you go? And that brings me to the so what. So what? Verse 24 to 29, the so what of these rich and meaty words is this. We are a commissioned people. All of us. Every single one of us. Not the person next to you. You. Everyone. Every single, but you're like, oh, I'm not even educated. Doesn't matter. You're commissioned. I've only known Jesus for two weeks. Doesn't matter. You're commissioned. Yeah, but I really let God down before and I made some poor choices. Doesn't matter. You are commissioned. The next thing, our suffering doesn't invalidate or diminish our call. If you are in a bad place, Jesus wants to meet you in that place. It's not him saying, get over it. That's not what this message is. He is the ultimate comforter. So allow him to comfort you, but don't use it as an excuse to be comforted where you are and not move into a place of taking that message out to other people. We're called to make God fully known, not just the comfortable and convenient bits. And lastly, just like those seeds, we carry heaven's hope inside us. And it's so precious and so worth everything that God is inviting us to nurture it so that we might change the culture, as Chris talked about last week, with a message of what is to come, which is so much more glorious than what we're seeing now. So let's stand and we'll pray together. Father, I thank you that you don't look at our ability before you decide whether to call or commission us with this incredibly weighty responsibility. You say we're qualified as soon as we say yes. And just as that passage in Mark said, we want you to be in the driving seat. We want you to be in the driving seat and we want to let you lead. We want to relinquish control. We want to surrender control. We want to embrace suffering because you will show us how to deal with it. We want to put down our comfort and convenience and we want to pick up a calling that is worth everything. Father, I ask that as Ashford Vineyard, as a community and family, that you would put a spirit of urgency and compulsion on the inside of us that when we see someone that doesn't yet know a message of hope, that doesn't yet know the full message of who God is and who he says about them, that we might be driven with the urgency that those medics were driven by yesterday on that football pitch that we might be compelled to reveal the hope of glory that you have put on the inside of us as you dwell in us. And I thank you, Father, that you are not a distant, standoffish, Father, but you have decided to come and take up residence in our hearts. And just as we stand here, I would just like to invite you, if you feel like you have left your seed in the packet or put it in the packet and just thought, oh, I just don't know. Maybe it's just not for me. And you feel this morning like God is saying, would you plant it? Would you water it? Would you nurture it? Would you do something with that for you and for the sake of the world? Then I would encourage you where you are, just put your hands in front of you. It's always the right moment to say to God, I'm ready again. Always. And I would love to speak over you those words that Paul said, that you might know it for yourself. If you're stood with your hands out now, whether you're at home, whether you're in the room, I thank you, God, that you have commissioned these people here, these people at home, these people on catch-up, you have commissioned us to present to the world who you are in your fullness, because we have the hope of glory on the inside of us thank you father thanks for listening to our podcast today and we hope you enjoyed it for more information visit ashfordvinyard.org, or maybe drop into something if you're nearby in the meantime have a great week and know just how loved you are